coming up in the Authorpreneur Podcasts. Welcome to the 99th episode of the Authorpreneur Podcast. Yes, I'm doing the countdown thing and yep, it's super dorky, but I'm embracing it anyway. But back to the matter at hand. In this episode, I share my writing and publishing misadventures during the months of March and April. So chase, stay tuned. Welcome to the Authorpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, mystery author, Amelia D. Hay. On this podcast, I will bring you writing, book marketing, and self-publishing advice so that you can create your dream author business, build your author platform, and be creatively independent. You can find the episode show notes and lots more information on the podcast page at authorpreneurpodcast.com forward slash podcast. Hello writers, at present I'm struggling to sell to book two in my Amateur Sleuth series and I'm going into detail about my experiments to get this book selling and I discuss my issues with going direct to Barnes Noble upon receiving the advice of going wide in a webinar. Let's just say that I regret leaving Drafter Digital and Drafter Digital like yay, I mean they, they didn't miss me, trust me. <laughs> And I discuss how I've screwed up my Amateur Sleuth mystery series. I don't know, saying that kind of gives me anxiety. (laughs) But without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Just to let you know, this episode was recorded on Tuesday the 25th of April. Yep. So this show is me primarily looking back at March and April. And if you're on the YouTube, if you're watching the video episode, you'll notice I'm wearing exactly the same outfit. So you'll know that I recorded this and the previous episode together. Yep. Life of a content creator. Throughout this episode, I'll be referencing tools and services that I've used. If you're interested in reading the transcript or would like links to anything that I've mentioned in the show, then check out the very long blog post or edited transcripts at authorpreneurpodcast.com forward slash BTS052. And if you're new to the podcast, I want to say a huge thank you for stopping by and trying out my show. To those of you who've been faithfully listening, thank you for regularly listening in and supporting me. Your support means more to me than you know. So a few things happened to me, a few, let me backtrack, a few fascinating things happened to me this month. They got in the way of me recording my podcast episodes. The first was my husband was sick and he worked from home for a while. I'm tempted to say it was more than a week. It was just, it was because for me, the week weekends don't happen for me because I work from home all the time. It's my computer's always here. So there's always opportunity to work, right? So I don't notice the weekend. So he's been home. He was home for a very long time. That's how it felt for me. And I felt bad saying, Oh, hey, babe. Do you think you can die a little quieter so I can record my podcast? It just feels a bit, you know, and the award for the worst wife ever goes to yours truly. So I thought I can't even asking him to leave the room so I can the office space we have in our house so I can record. It just feels like next level douche, douchey. It's just, it does. It just feels like 
Maybe it's because I don't, maybe I put more value on what he does than what I do. Maybe it's it's sort of coming down to that. But at the same time, he has a few, with his work, there is an element of confidentiality with it. So I've got to be careful. And because he's a software engineer, it's just like, they find an excuse to do a meeting for everything. So he's constantly on whatever the Google equivalent of it is. Maybe it's Google Meet now it's called. He's always on Google Meet having meetings with his co-workers. So I can't always record because you can hear because this microphone yeah you can you can probably hear I have to edit out footsteps from upstairs and outside and all sorts of things it's a dream because there's a confidential element to his work I had to wait for his working from home period to come to an end so I could get back to podcasting at the same time I was struggling with my mental health honestly this has been happening on and off since lockdown like I just I'm just haven't been the same since and it's not because I'm putting any pressure on myself to earn anything particular because we need that money it's I've become a hermit and there are mental health consequences for that and I have a health issue of my own so this is going to be a little TMI because I'm always afraid to talk about the health issues I experience as a female writer and they do get in the way of writing sometimes and this isn't I found out that this is actually not common but the only requirement for you to get this thing that I have is you have to have a uterus so you too if you have a uterus could get this too if you're a bit queasy and just would rather not you should skip forward to this time frame eight minutes and 30 seconds so i have uterine fibroids and what they are is they're gross that are attached from what i understand they attach to the arteries that are attached to the uterus so in a nutshell I'm constantly bleeding and I have trouble differentiating between the fibroid related bleeding because it's attached to those arteries and veins and like my actual period and I'm at an age where I should know and there are normally if my body's healthy and my menstrual cycle is healthy then there are certain indicators this thing is going to happen soon for me at least I don't know if the fibroids are affecting my hormones and I think just the constant bleeding is making me hard to tell what's what's going on with my body and at one stage I thought I was in perimenopause but my doctor my gynecologist just completely disagreed with me. He says I'm too young. At the same time, because it can all, it can be hard for me to do all the things I want because I feel tired and it can be difficult to concentrate, especially when my period does happen and the bleeding is quite heavy. It sounds worse than what it is. It's just because um, if you bleed a lot, you could eventually become anemic. That's That can be a consequence of that. And I'm not there yet, but I'm definitely experiencing the symptoms of feeling tired, dizzy, and the ability to concentrate. My ability to do work for long periods of time, just it's it's kind of gone. And I haven't got COVID. I, I didn't get COVID. What I got is this. Not that you can catch it, but and looking back over lockdown, I can sort of see, yeah. And because of the, the way the NHS is at the moment, which is the national health system, in case you're from America, it's been hard for me to see a doctor I have I saw a doctor in November and then for reasons multiple reasons I won't bore you to tears but I haven't been able to see him since and I'm still I've been trying to book an appointment since the 5th of April to see my gynecologist but it just hasn't worked out like that I haven't been able to see him so and there's a cure for it I just need to get them removed which could be as easy as easy 
as I think just like keyhole surgery, like a, lap- a laparoscopy potentially, it's probably got a different name. But that's my TMI health issues. So the first three weeks in April were quite wild for me because I think that's I can't remember when my last podcast episode was recorded because I want to say it was recorded. Yeah, I released it on the 27th of March and yeah, so those first three weeks in April were wild and I've only gotten to, I've gotten to a place now where I can, I have the energy to record a podcast episode. I did actually consider going to emergency over the weekend, like it's how bad it got. I digress. At the start of April, as I was getting back into the rhythm of writing book three, the locked room moved up in the queue and became available for proofreading. So I put the writing of book three on pause, obviously, to work on these edits and publish the novella. And that took, I think, roughly a week. And again, I'm meant to talk about something I'm not sure if I should really talk about, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's the spirit of this. That's the brand I've created for myself, right? I just say things and I'm brutally honest. Yeah, whether I should or shouldn't, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. The one thing I have noticed about the editing process is that I'm no longer blindly accepting the edits and I've started rejecting a small portion of them because I want the narrative to sound a certain way when it's read aloud. So I discovered this issue while reading the candidate aloud on my YouTube channel. At times I felt that the editor didn't get that, I guess this is more the the line editor didn't get the narrative is from the character's point of view and therefore it's opinion based and often I was pushed to explain how a character knows something for instance in one scene James describes the curtains material as thick heavy drapes so my editor you know wrote a note wanting to know how does he actually know the curtains are heavy and it's just one of those things like because he's been like why am I saying like a lot that's really irritating so there's a part of me that thinks who cares about the drapes this is just his opinion like and so I just said you know this is his opinion so I replied back politely and just said you know this is his opinion on the drapes it's just you know you're going to get a lot of opinion based things and they're not necessarily facts he doesn't actually know that they're heavy he just thinks they are so then she changed the wording from heavy to heavy looking so I will open the locked room and I'll give you an example. Hopefully I haven't used the word heavy a lot in my book. And you can actually do like a find and replace in the locked room as well. In the centre of the room was a large window dressed with a pair of thick, heavy red drapes that reminded him of the Persian rugs from downstairs. That's the sentence. So it was changed in the edit to in the centre of the room was a large window dressed with a pair of heavy of thick, heavy-looking red drapes that reminded him of the Persian rugs downstairs. And I sort of feel like the word heavy-looking, it just, I feel like it's adding clutter to the words in the sentence. Whereas the other thing is, because he's he doesn't exist in a vacuum, he's obviously lived at places before here and he's seen curtains and he's felt certain materials. So it's like, I shouldn't have to sort of explain that he's actually touched this fabric before in a previous house long ago it's just not relevant to the story and it doesn't tell you something about the character either it doesn't bring James and the reader closer together talking about how he knows the 
the the drapes are heavy. This is just his opinion. It's and you know people can be wrong about their opinions on things, but you know we are by nature opinionated. It just sounded clunky, and I felt it was better without the word "looking" being a t- being hyphenated, being attached to the word "heavy" via hyphenation. I just sort of feel like it was better without it. So. I rejected that change. And there was also another moment where he thinks that another person's workout gear is made out of a sweat-resistant material. And again, the editor wanted to know how he knew this. And again, it's his opinion on the clothing. It's not fact. He just thinks that looks like sweat-resistant material. And I shouldn't have to stop the narrative to explain to the reader that he knows this because he's seen the material before or he's touched other thick, heavy fabrics. Pointing out stuff like this isn't important to the story. It's not important to his backstory. And it's just opinion on the setting and events. And this is what you, you sign up for is you want, like when you read a book, is you're reading it from the character's point of view and you want to know what they think feel about it this is what connects you to a character and I don't know if this is a sign that I need to find a new editor if it's just what the editing process is like and I've just evolved and changed and I've just stopped blindly accepting things and I've valued this is how I want it to sound over something being correct I am starting to feel a bit frustrated because but at the same time, like I, I think my editor is trying to be helpful, and how I react to her helpfulness isn't her problem; it's my problem. That's the way I. That's the way I'm choosing to look at this. I'll see if I can find the. Yeah, I found the sentence now. So it's the door flung open. Actually, that's that's the sentence before. So the door flung open. Standing before him was Sybil in what appeared to be workout gear. Black leggings, a tight black t-shirt with sweat-resistant material, bright pink trainers, and a matching bright pink hand towel. And this sort of says something about the character too. This person's quite, maybe neurotic's not the word, but having colours together that visually match is actually really important to this character. And you can tell by this outfit and it sort of says something about it. Some people it doesn't matter, they just wear all black and they don't care or they wear black and a bit of grey to the gym and it's not like this isn't important but to this character dressing like this is important so you're sort of learning something here about the character and what's more important is you get the visual picture of how they're looking as opposed to why he knows that the material is sweat resistant and I guess that's the issue with line editing is stuff like this crops up and... It is. Um, I, I guess I'm, I used to really love the editing process. At times it's frustrating. At other times it's fine. It's not so much the number of edits that I have to do cause I, because there is a part of me that thinks if I don't have a correction on every line, I sort of think, why am I paying you? Like I want you to find everything. And part of this is, is is a difference of opinion and learning how to share these differences of opinion in a way that's diplomatic and not awful. And I do have that skill set, but I sort of feel like, yeah, this is my podcast and I can vent my frustrations, right? And it makes the experience more real for you as well. If I'm not just talking about, oh, I just love editing and it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's not true. It's it's more real if I'm honest with you and say, yeah, I'm finding this frustrating. At this stage in my career, I'm finding this frustrating, but I still value it. And I still don't want to find another editor because I am happy working with this person. I'm just sort of speculating. Why do I feel like this? I'm just trying to have understand it for myself as well. So let's get on to a little bit of book marketing before I talk about more writing things. 
I'm struggling to sell my second book in a series. So I'm giving away book one easily. For some reason, actually, that's not a, I don't know why this is happening. It's, um, I'm giving away book one easily because let's face it, it's free. And who doesn't love, who doesn't love a freebie, right? This is the problem with giving, this is the problem you have when you give away something for free, like that first book in the series. So the way that I've written book one isn't, like I've recently finished writing, not writing, reading, what is it called? Don't Tell Meg by Paul Teague. I absolutely hate the protagonist. I know that's awful, but I got to the end of that book and I want to read the second book, even if it's just to hate, to hate watch him. Like I just, I sort of feel like this particular character in the second book, he hasn't learned his lesson. And there's a part of me that likes that because sometimes I need to learn the same lesson twice, but I feel like he ha- like he's, he hasn't changed. He, I sort of feel like he's going to make the same mistake again. And there's a part of me that wants to watch it. Like he's the character I like to hate. I sort of feel like hopefully Paul isn't offended by it, but that's what you want. You want your reader to have a reaction to the character even if it's they hate them and want to read the book too, that's he's still one, right? Sorry, it's up there, that book. But unlike the transition between Don't Tell Meg and The Murder Place, I don't have that hook at the end of book one. There is a an allusion to the story continuing on at some point, but there's no immediate draw to the next book. Then there's, you know, The Elephant in the Room, I only have two books out in a series. I've got two prequels. I've got the first book in another series. So that's three. I've got two books in a series. And when you've only got two books in a – because it's a mystery series, you don't necessarily need to read all the books in order. But they're there for those of you who like to read things in order. But because it's mystery, there's no overarching plot. You can just sort of start reading – at book seven if you if that's how you wanted to do it but because there's only two books available at this stage there's only a reader only has five opportunities to find my books in amongst the millions of books that are available on the various ebook retailers and bookstore websites right they've only got five opportunities in amongst millions of books so spoiler alert they don't find my books so there's the question of am i expecting too much at this stage and the answer to that question is probably yeah because that's just a character, my own character flaw. So discoverability is low for the for the reasons that I've pointed out. I only have four books and one standalone. And one is a first in series and there are no other books in that series. And the two are a part of the same series. So this is having an impact on my book sales. I'm guessing that if I had four books in the same series that my sales would look a little differently, but I don't. And for me, I wanted to create multiple entries into my series so I could, so I wasn't just relying on one avenue. If, if one reader, if readers decide they don't like one of the entry points into my series, like there's another one I can use. And part of this is the curse of writing multiple series at once. I sort of knew this going in, but at the same time, even though I know it's going to be slow, me getting sales is going to be slow, there's a part of me that's still expecting things to be different, even though I, I know that this is a quite a common thing. If you start with writing two series, I've heard it from people like Lindsay Baroka and other people, and it's like, why would things be different for me? But at the same time, I'm still, my expectations are still quite high for me. Whereas when I hear her story, I think, yeah, that makes sense. But for me, it doesn't. 
So I've realized the other epiphany I've had is that I think the price for the second book might be too high considering the first is free. So I'm sort of saying, you know, get this book for free and then spend $3.99 on book two. So I've changed the price for book two temporarily to 99 cents with the intention of, you know, pushing a promo, a promo on book one and see how many people will be tempted to immediately buy book two because book two actually has a hook to book three and it's quite hooky I've been told that it's like I can't wait to read what see what happens next because I put him in this situation and he gets this phone call at the end and they think oh what's going to happen so the tactic seems to be working well-ish at the moment but it's really too soon to say and because it was working well not that these two events are not related at all for some reason Amazon took my book off free on the US store and I was like why have you done that like so I've got to email them again and sort of say hey this book is it's still free on Apple I think Apple changed the price back from free to full price on their own. And because Amazon are only looking towards the Apple store and not the other stores because it's free on Kobo, Google Play, Barnes and Noble and Fnac, like all of the other places, but they only look at Apple. So I did try to move the needle a little bit on Kobo and I tried Facebook ads and it's just not working. I'm finding it really hard to sell on Kobo at the moment and I felt tempted to pull the plug on going wide but I think this is just me being short-sighted and me just not waiting until I've got five books in the same series before I start thinking about whether I should just exclusively sell on Amazon. And I'm hoping I'll be smart enough not to do that. But you never know. I want to leave room for me making what this version of me knows to be a mistake. I do think exclusivity is a mistake, but if it works for you, it's fine. But I'm just aware that Amazon has a habit of changing the rules and I don't like that. But I digress. Let's go on to move on to Barnes and Noble because I sort of promised that in the introduction tonight. If you've heard something in this episode that was helpful to you and you'd like to support the show, then buy me a coffee for as little as two US dollars at buymeacoffee.com forward slash author ADH. So I tried to go to direct to Barnes and Noble but I came up with a few issues in regards to taxation and it's just it drives me spare because the IRS is is the income and revenue scheme I think that's what it stands for not 100% sure I'm not American so sorry I'll point out what they did and I'll get into why I disagree with it so Barnes and Noble were determined to tax me 30% withholding even in spite of the treaty that exists between the IRS and the United Kingdom and other countries so they're going against like I can go onto the IRS highlight the treaty where it says I'm supposed to pay zero withholding tax on items that I sell in the US with the intention of declaring them as a part of my income in the United Kingdom when I pay tax at the end of the financial year. This is the agreement, right? So in spite of that, they're just putting this blanket 30% holding, withholding on everybody. 
So even though they say they're open to publishing authors from other countries, they've got no idea what they're doing. They don't even understand their own tax laws. And I sort of disagree with them doing this. Like if you're not, if you're not, if you don't understand the taxation laws, your own taxation laws and your agreements with other countries, you shouldn't be open to publishing direct with other authors. So I explained to them and they said, oh, we have to do this. And then I replied back with, actually, you don't. They, they forwarded me information and I could highlight stuff in that information that said I was right. And I was like, is this really happening? So I replied back and I said, I explained there's actually a treaty between the IRS and the United Kingdom that says that I don't have to pay withholding. And the other thing is, is when you sign up for them and you fill out the tax form, it's the least user-friendly tax form. You have to go to the IRS, download the form. It's not digit. You don't fill it out digitally like you do with draft digital Amazon Google Play, this is much easier to use on Google Play, believe it or not. You know you're doing something wrong if Google Play is easier to use than you. Just going to put it out there. Because Google are notorious for making their products easier for their, for their engineers than they are for their users. It's just how they roll. But this stuff is free, right? So you get what you pay for. Like the tax, filling out the tax form was a nightmare. So I had to open up all the other tax forms and sort of see this is how they're filled out for these reasons. So I filled it out exactly the same as it's filled out across all the other distributors and platforms like Apple as well. I made sure it was exactly the same as all of them. Like I'm paying 0% tax everywhere else except for Barnes & Noble. So I pulled my books from Barnes & Noble and went back to draft to digital because it's not worth the hassle to be unnecessarily taxed so I can access to some secret categories and so-called promotions. And I've seen that promotion section and it is not worth this drama. Like there is barely any promotions in this. I would say that the Kobo promotions tab is way better than the Barnes and Noble one. The Barnes and Noble one had like two things and I wouldn't even consider it. I'd rather mess around with Facebook ads and try and make that work than use one of their in-house promotions. And those categories, they aren't, they aren't any better than the categories you choose when you go through Draft to Digital because I think they're official categories that they use in every bookstore and there's nothing wrong with those categories they're they're quite good and I don't see how these extra categories are going to make discoverability any better I just considering there's just it's to me it just it isn't it feels hyped and unless you're in America you live in America I don't see going direct with Barnes and Noble as a thing that's going to be a good choice for you to make. I know this is this is super brutal too. Like I know I'm aware and part of the reason why I'm being brutal is I have worked in finance before. I did sort of study financial planning for a bit in the context of the Australian econ economic environment and their taxation laws. So I do understand a little bit and this is why it just annoys me because it's all it takes is for one person to go through and make these few changes and it's not it doesn't have to be a drama but it is so this i think i did this at the end of march i'm still waiting for barnes and noble support staff to get back to me about the withholding about the w8 form and the and them changing the 30% back to zero i still haven't got a email back so when they said 
you know, I'm going to forward it on to support staff, this other support staff in this other area. I have a funny feeling the area doesn't exist. And I was just put in the too hard basket and they were probably crossing their fingers hoping that I would go back to a distributor and they got what they wanted, right? There was nothing more I can do with this and I felt really ripped off. And I felt like I do feel like people give out advice like this and they don't consider how this might work for people in other countries other than their own country. The other thing is about going wide. I don't see how publishing directly is any better than going through a distributor because a distributor makes it easier. Like draft to digital make publishing to Barnes and Noble so much easier. And that's not just me just assuming that now. I know that for a fact. They're a nightmare. When I publish on Drafter Digital, I don't get any withholding tax because Drafter Digital, for some reason, they acknowledge that treaty, whereas Barnes and Noble don't. And it's it's frustrating. The other thing is when you go wide, you're probably not going to see any success until you get a huge backlist. And because I'm choosing to go wide, I need to sort of constantly remind myself, this is what I've signed up for. I, I need to build a backlist before I'm going to see any sort of consistent sort of month by month sales that are worth talking about. I need to constantly remind myself that this is how it is. And I'm also not doing a lot in terms of promotion. I'm not consistently promoting my books. I'm just doing it haphazardly. Whenever I get upset about my book sales, I'll, you know, do a promotion and try and move the needle. But that isn't consistent. And, you know, I'm getting inconsistent results. Spoiler alert. So that's it. I'm losing my voice. So those are the things I wanted to talk about in terms of book marketing. Now for what I've titled this episode after, and it's I screwed up my mystery series. And it's when I wrote this the script for this episode, I found this therapeutic. So and I want to talk about it because because I think it's important. Towards the end of February, I started writing book three in the James Lond Amateur Sleuth Mystery Series Into the Dark. So far I've written, I think it's more than that, actually. I'm going to give you up-to-date statistics. So the word count is currently 8,274 words. I've been writing this book on and off between working with my editor on the locked room and publishing tasks, and it has been an enjoyable experience. However, in April, I hit a wall in my writing process after realizing that the third book is technically not a mystery because the whodunit is not is known from the start for several reasons. First is because I've written scenes from the killer's point of view and their identity is known and I haven't done the same old first person with the intent of disguising their identity because you don't refer to yourself when you talk about yourself. Like when you talk, no one talks about themselves in the third person. So when you use a first person identity, you have to, the character's name isn't known until someone kind of says it or you find another creative way of doing that right and secondly there is a subtle reference to this person in the second book and I've just spoiled not that I've got readers for my books listening to this podcast so technically I'm breaking the rules of the genre and I'm not delivering on the promise of the whodunit so it's a thriller and so is book four so now I feel trapped and I have no idea what to do or even how to change my story so it's more of a mystery. Although I could introduce another potential villain in order to create a mystery so the reader doesn't know the who done it. So if you have thoughts on my dilemma, 
feel free to email me at hello at authoradhay.com or leave your thoughts in the comment section over the on the blog or under social or on social media. So what happens in the story is this person's kind of getting revenge for what they feel was wrong that was done to them. Whether you actually think that what was done to them was actually wrong is a completely different topic for another time. But from their point of view, this person did them wrong, these people, and they're going around and they're, you know, getting their revenge one by one. So it's a bit of a serial killer and I reference them and in the first book. So it's not so much a whodunit, it's he needs to stop and catch this person before he goes through his creepy list of of getting revenge against people who did him wrong in the past. Maybe I am overthinking it. Maybe, actually, I'm going to have a look. The thing I didn't type into Google was mystery novels where the villain is known from the beginning. Oh, actually, this is a thing. I'm not doing something new. This isn't a thriller. Actually, this is a division of the mystery Oh my goodness, I'm so glad I recorded this episode today. So what I've done is when you start off a mystery novel where the villain is actually known, because usually in a mystery novel the villain isn't known until mid until about halfway through the well the midpoint is is a place where you can reveal the villain. Sometimes I push that way until the, the start of the third act and they t- and James turns up and it's a different person than what he's expecting. But what I've done is I've created an inverted detective story or a how catch them. There's a instead of like knives out isn't a who done it, it's how done it. It's like how was he murdered and at, at some point in the story you think how can she get away with this? <laughs> And then, sorry, I've just spoiled it for you, but um, this is something slightly different where it's a how catch them, it's how can the detective catch them, which is essentially what James is doing in this, is how can he stop this person and catch them in the act so they don't cause any more harm than what they've already caused. So this is a thing. So I haven't I haven't completely screwed up. I'm just doing something that's not typical of the that's in the genre. Yeah, it's called an inverted detective story, or in my case, an inverted amateur sleuth story. So it's a how catch them. Oh, I feel so much better about this already. So maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to create, I'm going to embrace this how catch them sort of scenario. I'm going to have two villains. So at the start, you sort of think, oh my God, there's either one of these people could be really doing this. Are they both doing it This is at the same time? There's a lot of, you know, there's a mystery surrounding what's actually happening and I hope that'll be enough to distract from the actual clues. I still don't show the crime actually. No, I do show the crime taking place, just not the the first one is seen through the lens of a character. So I could set up a scenario where there's two potential villains and then just lean into the fact that it's he has to stop them because he knows he feels compelled to stop them. He's James is one of those people that once he gets involved with something or realizes that there's something going wrong, he can't help but not get involved. He's a bit of a nosy Parker. Maybe nosy Parker isn't exactly the right term. He's a bit of a busybody, interfering busybody. He can't help it. It's just something that he does. He gets involved. So while I was feeling stuck with book three in the James Lawn mystery series, I opened up 
my unfinished cozy mystery and started working on that novella again. Just a side note, the switching between stories happened before I realized why I was stuck with book three before back to the cozy mystery. I added more depth to the narrative point of view in the first chapter in order to establish a connection between the reader and the protagonist. But I hid another brick wall when I realized that my main character, I've made her a grieving widow in desperate need of a fresh start, but she doesn't have her fresh start. She doesn't get her fresh start in this book. This is sort of what makes her consider wanting that fresh start. And I wondered whether this character actually suits the cozy mystery genre or if, again, I'm breaking the genre rules because grief can be quite dark. Not that I go deep into, you know, the darkness of grief, but she's still grieving. She misses her husband. And I feel like cozy mysteries are supposed to be light and fluffy and not where a character is sort of suppressing, you know, feelings of really missing somebody. And I will point out that it's by no means dark in the sense that she's, you know, considering doing something really unhealthy. But she's just sad that her husband is gone and she misses him. I didn't want to give her a divorce because it's just, I just don't understand why people cheat. Why can't you just leave your relationship and then move on? after that why do you have to have your egg and why do you have to have your cake and eat it too this is I don't understand that and I don't want to go into the nuances of why a relationship could break down because it's going to make you paranoid I'm just I'm an overthinker and I just like so I killed off her spouse and also it's a potential um story for later on right that's also a bonus for it now I'm stuck writing two novels not stuck writing two novels I'm stuck with writing two novels have I was that even more clarifying I'm stuck in the process of writing two novels I'm stuck in the series for two series for the same reason I feel like I've broken the genre rules in both of my series but maybe not maybe this is a case of like before I just googled mystery novels where the villain is known and I could just look for grieving widows as characters of cozy mysteries and find out actually how many of those sort of books actually out there exists because usually the ones I read are little old ladies and stuff like that and I want to write something similar but different but don't worry I'm not going to start a third novel I'm not that stupid So that's all the things I can discuss in terms of writing, editing and book marketing and publishing. Now I have an important question to ask you. Are you a UK author who has experienced taxation issues at Barnes & Noble or have you just completely skipped this trauma altogether and just published with published to Barnes & Noble via Draft2Digital? Come on over to the blog post and share your thoughts and experiences in the comments section. Also, if you have a, any thoughts on, you know, my third book in my mystery series, sort of feeling like a thriller, because again, book four has a thriller element to it. There's still mystery surrounding it, but it definitely has that sort of more thriller vibe. Whether you think I really am breaking the rules of the genre by doing this or whether I'm just overthinking it. If you have thoughts about that too, then feel free to let me know in the comments section over on the blog or on social media or email me directly. And while I have this thought as well, because this is episode 99, the next episode is going to be the 100th episode. And I thought it might be nice to do a celebratory Ask Me Anything session. So come on over to authorpreneurpodcast.com forward slash question. <laughs> Why did I not 
Why did I forget that? It was such an easy URL. And submit your question for me to answer on the show. In the next episode of the podcast will obviously be that milestone episode. After that, I will release another episode where I will discuss the anatomy of a scene. Thank you for listening and happy reading and writing, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Authorpreneur podcast. If you love this episode, then hit the subscribe button and leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. I'm your host, Amelia D. Hay, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.